Lord Jesus, hear our prayer. Your word tells us in Hebrews that you're a consuming fire. So we tremble, Lord, in the presence of a God as holy and powerful as you are, to know that you're the creator of the ends of the earth, that the whole earth declares your glory. Lord, the skies above shout your greatness, and all of this makes us tremble in the presence of one so mighty. And then we remember the gospel, Lord, that you, our holy God, sent your Son to ransom a people who would become holy to you, that you would send your Son to die for us so that we might worship his beautiful, wonderful, powerful name. Lord, causes us to trust. To trust in You, Lord, because we know how much You love us. Because looking at the cross and the empty tomb, Lord, we can never ask You again honestly, do You really love us? You've already done everything You need to do to show us Your love. And so, Lord, we hear Your Word on this 15th day of the year in the 15th Psalm. We hear, who can dwell in Your holy place? Who can stand on Your holy hill? And And you say only the one who is righteous. And we know we're not righteous, so we wonder why we're trying. And then we remember, Lord, that our righteousness comes from you. That Jesus Christ has become wisdom and righteousness and power from God. So of course we come to you, Lord. Though everything in us wants to run from the fire, we run to you. Because you're a consuming fire, Lord, we realize we're not consumers. But we want to be consumed with you. Make us uh, Your flame, Lord. Spirit of God, burn in us for our sake, for the sake of the world. Burn a fire in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. I love the way God orchestrates worship. Thank You. Thank You, Sky, for uh, every week just waiting before the Lord till He gives you the songs we're supposed to sing. Carlos does that in the early service as well, and I am I'm grateful for that. Grateful to see you today in this new year. Our theme verse, I like to remind us at the beginning of the year, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. Do you know this verse? God is faithful. I'd love for you to memorize the whole thing, but if you're like, if you struggle to memorize, that's okay. Just get those three words. It'll make your whole year better. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So for the first four months, we're going to think about what it means to be called to Christ. Because disciples are called to Christ. What does that look like in our lives? I'll tell you what that doesn't look like. George Bernard Shaw, I I quoted this in the early service last week. I didn't give it to you all, so I want to make sure you get this. This is the true joy of life. You're looking for your calling. It's being used up for a purpose recognized by yourself as a mighty one. Being a force of nature instead of a feverish, selfish little clot of ailments and grievances complaining that the world will not devote itself to making you happy. That's not living God's calling. But to live for something higher. To know that God has a higher purpose for us and to hear God's higher call and respond to it. My favorite philosopher is Soren Kierkegaard, the Danish philosopher. and He told a story about a goose that was wounded and landed in a farmyard and sort of settled in with the chickens, played with the chickens, ate with the chickens, acted like a chicken, 
grew up with the chickens, and then one day a flight of geese came overhead. And the goose in the, in the barnyard heard the call of the geese above, the honking calling, and they're you know, in this V, and they're going forward. And for a moment the goose realizes, oh wow, I was made for more than this, and begins to flap its majestic, beautiful wings and makes it one foot, two foot, three foot, and then whew, right back into the mud and decides to stay in the barnyard. It could happen to us. It could happen to us. Someone said within every one of us, there, there is an eagle that wants to soar. And there is also a hippopotamus that wants to wallow in the mud. How are you planning to spend 2017? What if we heard God's higher call, what Paul calls the, the, the upward call of Jesus Christ, and we responded to that? Can I show you uh, in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 49, verses 1 through 7, one of the servant songs gives us a picture of God's higher purpose to be called to more. Would you stand with me as we read God's Word? Isaiah chapter 49, verses 1 through 7. The four servant songs. You know the last one, I bet, Isaiah 53, which looks for all the world like it's telling the story of crucifixion. We use it, we read it a lot of times around, around uh, Good Friday and, and Easter. But listen to this one. This is the second of the four uh, servant songs. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, He has spoken my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of His hand, He hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in His quiver. He said to me, You are my servant. Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I've labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing at all. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be His servant, to bring Jacob back to Him and gather Israel to Himself, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, it's too small a thing. For you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, to Him who was despised and abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers. Kings will see you and stand up. Princes will see you and bow down because of the Lord who is faithful." the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Israel might have settled for less than what God had for them. The prophet Isaiah, especially in chapters 40-66, to we see these, these beautiful images of comfort and hope. Comfort, comfort my people. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They'll rise up on wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not be faint. These are beautiful passages. And then the, the servant songs. The first one in Isaiah chapter 42 and then this one in 49, and then in 50, the Lord has given me 
the ear of a disciple so that I may speak a word of comfort to those who are weary. And then chapters 52 and 53, this picture of the servant being killed in order to offer redemption to the people. And we may read these and wonder, so who exactly is the servant? Because sometimes it seems like it's Israel. I read to you, he says, you're my servant Israel. But then in verses 5 and 6, whoever the servant is, is redeeming Israel, is helping Israel out. And it sounds like an individual. And, and we may well wonder as we read things like this, as we're reading through the Scriptures together again this year, we may get to Isaiah and say, what's he talking about? What does he mean, my servant? Who is this servant? And we get the picture that the servant, in view of this future exile of the people of God, is longing for the day when the people who've been sent out into exile will come back home. If only we can get all the dispersed tribes of Israel and Jacob back to the homeland. Wouldn't that be a great calling for the life of one of God's servants? And God says, yeah, that's too small. Because I also want you to be a light, not just to Israel, but to all the nations so that the Gentiles will come to God as well. Who is this servant? And what is God saying? And as we think about our corporate calling, not just who you're called to be in Christ, but who we are are called to be in Christ. It's important for us to remember that our vision for our church and our vision for our lives is likely not bigger than God's vision. In other words, we might settle for less than what God has for us. At times in history, the church has become a sort of rubber stamp for the rulers of the world around it. Sometimes uh, to our own chagrin, we have sort of collaborated with and whatever was going on in the world. And on this Martin Luther King uh, weekend in honor of his uh, birth, he would be 88 years old this weekend, but he died at the age of 39. But this is what he said about the church, this son of a preacher, grandson of a preacher, great-grandson of a preacher said, the church must be reminded that it's not the master or the servant of the state, but rather the conscience of the state. We're the guide, the critic of the state. We must never be its tool. So in some ways, some in Israel in Isaiah's day would say, if we could just get the people back home, that'd be great. We, we could just, you know, Israel would come back together. And if Israel were okay, then the world would be okay. And it reminds me of Dan McGee, my ethics professor, saying that's kind of like the elephant saying, God for every man. And every man for himself, said the elephant as he danced among the chickens. It's a great philosophy if you're an elephant, but if you're a chicken, that's kind of scary. And what I would say is God's call for His people inevitably stretches us beyond what we thought. He enlarges our hearts so that we begin to love the whole world as He loves the world. And if God's call for your life, Mark Batterson says on the title page of his new book, if God's call in your life doesn't scare you, yeah, it's probably not God's call. Because God's call should put a little bit of fear and trembling in you. Our God is a consuming fire. We were just singing about that. In fact, Edward Land says, this is how you know it's God's call. This is how you know the only task worth doing is the one that is well nigh impossible. So what is that bigger thing that God is calling us to as His servants in the world? Well, in the passage He says, 
A servant speaks God's message to people. That's first. A servant serves. That makes sense, doesn't it? And a servant shares the love of God with the whole world. Let's just kind of unpack it together in verses 1 and 2. Like, like the servant in Isaiah's servant song, we the people of God, the church, have been sent by God, called by God to speak up for Him. You, you see it right there at the beginning of it when he begins to speak and Isaiah says, listen, the servant says, listen, you islands and far off lands. I'm not just concerned about my own people, but I'm concerned about all people, he says, and his calling is prenatal. Do you see that? He says, so before I was born, God called me. It sounds a bit like Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, doesn't it? When Jeremiah is about to complain that he's too young and God says, so just to be clear, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Can you believe that God's purposes for our lives today predated our lives. He was already at work when we were coming into the world. And I think just this week for the first time, I read this part where it says, from my mother's womb, He has spoken my name. From my mother's womb, He says, God has spoken my name. And we want to say, well, what is, okay, what is your name? Because we're trying to figure out what your name is. And He says, God has spoken my name. And I just love the way parents speak the names of their children. I had a chance this week just to hold a new baby, little Brady. Got to hold Brady this week. Some of y'all have held Brady, I think. And, and I got to hold him and listen to his parents speak his name. And it was like, wow, I love to hear parents speak their, their children's names. Did you know we learn how to speak? Our accent, our, the way we use our language, we learn it from our parents. They're the first people who teach us to speak, right? And so uh, I know this is true because my brothers and I all sound alike on the phone. So much so that one day when our kids were all with my brother's kids up at a, at a lake house in, in uh, East Texas, I called my sister-in-law to see how things were going. And she started telling me how badly the kids were doing and she thought I was my brother, and I just stopped her and said, okay, just stop, wait, I'm not David, I'm Dwayne. Just to be clear, I want you to know who I am. And so we hear our parents. The first person you ever heard speak your name was likely one of your parents. And how did they say your name? And to Isaiah's point, how would God speak your name if He spoke it? Over the holidays, we went up to see my mom. I've told you all, she's living in a, in a residence center, and she's struggling with some cognitive things. And so we're not always sure all that she gets, and we, we took her out for a Belgian waffle, and we just love my mom, which is such a privilege. She used to cut up my food, and now I get to cut up her food, and she used to pray for me, and now I get to pray for her, and, and it was just a, a beautiful time with her. And when we got back to her place, I just, I just want to bless her. Every time I see her now, I want to bless her. And so I was just blessing her. I was saying, Mom, no offense to any other mom in the room, I was like, Mom, you're the greatest mom who ever lived. And she was like, oh, I, I just wish I had been a better mom. No, Mom, you're a great mom because she still struggles some with self-esteem. Mom, you're a great mom. All the brothers and I, we think you're the greatest mom. And then I'm praying for him. While I'm praying, I'm thinking, you know, I don't know if she's going to remember this tomorrow. I don't know if she's going to remember this an hour from now. And she comes, sometimes gets generations mixed up and people mixed up. And, and I finished praying and I gave her a hug and I'm walking out the door and I hear her voice say, thank you, Dwayne. And I got to hear her one more time just say my name. Can I just ask you, if God spoke your name right now and you could hear him, what, what would the tone be? Would it be like when you were in trouble and you were a kid and your parents called like all three of your names, you know? 
Like, would he be angry at you right now? Can, can you just believe me when I say to you today, when God speaks your name, he speaks that name in love. He's calling you to himself. He is calling you by name if you will receive it. And he's calling you to speak. And, and to speak well, we've got to hear well. So in the next servant song, in Isaiah chapter 50, we hear him saying, the sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue. Those of you who have gifts who are speaking and God's using some of you powerfully to speak into the lives of other people right now. And listen, we've got to hear well. So the sovereign Lord literally says, digs out our ears. He gives us the ears of disciples because when we speak, he wants us to speak words that comfort the weary, not words that make people weary, but comfort the weary. And the only place you get words like that are from God. And he, he remembers, he remembers a time, Isaiah, if you go back in Isaiah chapter 6, the prophet Isaiah remembered a time when, when he first encountered God. I've been praying this would happen to us all week. And he encounters God in the temple in Isaiah chapter 6. And the first thing he realizes is, i got to stop talking because I'm a man of unclean lips. And who am I to speak anything? He's a prophet. And he says, who am I to speak? And, and, and God, he's, he's spiritually speechless. And, and he and God sends a coal from off the altar. Doesn't sound pleasant, does it? And cauterizes his lips. And then God says, will you go and tell these people? In verse 9, go and tell these people. And if we're going to speak for God, he says, you're going to be like a sharpened sword. Whose mouth is like a two-edged sword? Whose mouth is that in Scripture? Who are we, who are we talking about here? And it's like, it's like he's saying, you're my secret weapon, this servant of God. You're my secret weapon, and I've got, you, I've got you concealed, but your mouth is sharp. I have a friend who's a game warden. He's one of my best friends. I called him on Christmas Day. He's up in Canadian, Texas, and he was born a century too late, actually. He actually is Davy Crockett. I'm not kidding. I mean, he is amazingly gifted. He just would live outdoors all the time, and when his daughter was born, I babysat their daughter for a week while they took our kids to youth camp. And she grew up and went to college. And she was a member here for a while when she lived here in Houston. And, and uh, when she got married, he asked me to do the wedding. And I did the wedding. And he said, how much do I owe you? And he said, you don't owe me anything. It's an honor to do this wedding. So like a year later, I get in the mail a handcrafted knife that he has made. And it's in a, a, it's in a, like a knife holder that he has made. And in the note, he says, I made this for you. It's taken me a year to make it. I want you to have it. And, and just in case you're wondering wh whether it's sharp and you're going to don't try it because you're going to end up like at an ER because it's really, really sharp. And God's words penetrate and God's people's words penetrate. He says you're like a polished arrow. Some of you uh, are bow hunters in a previous life. Now I hunt with a camera, but I used to hunt with a bow and arrow. And the last thing I would do before I walked out the door was I would polish every arrow. Why? Not because I wanted them to look good, not so they'd be shiny, but because when they're polished, then when you pull them back, they're so smooth. There's no sound when they come back. And God was preparing to send His servant out. And He's given him everything he needs. He's well equipped. He's going to go and speak a word and it occurred to me this week that with our words we can either create let there be or we can devastate so maybe at the beginning of a new year we might just sort of consecrate our lips one more time to God to say God this year you're calling me to speak and I only want to speak what you want me to speak sometimes nothing is a really good thing to say so sometimes I won't speak God until you tell me to speak, I don't speak. I only speak your word, Lord. We are called as God's servants to speak. We are called 
to serve. That, that's the very word. And I read this week, somebody said, everybody in the world, most everybody in the world wants to serve in an advisory capacity. <laughs> like, I want to serve God by telling Him what I want Him to do. I want to serve others by telling them what I want them to do. But this word servant is, a, is an image of God using us for things that are bigger than ourselves. And it's interesting when you look at verse 4 as he describes his work, he says, God tells me I'm a servant, Israel in whom I will display my splendor in Hebrew, my beauty. God wants to make us beautiful servants of our beautiful God. He wants to give us beautiful feet as those who bring good news. And he says that the servant says, I've labored in vain. Like This isn't working. So how do you do when somebody treats you as a servant? How do you do with it? You go, man, it's just not working. It's like it's empty, it's vain, it's not, it's not working out for me. And again, Martin Luther King Jr. Um, showed us that serving can be, um, can be powerful. As Jesus said, if you want to be great, whoever wants to be great among you should be your servant. And Martin Luther King Jr. said everybody can be great. Like you and me, for instance, we can be great because we can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and verb agree to serve. You only need a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love. And the, the, the world is looking for people who are willing to serve in the shadows. Oh, it's easy to serve in the limelight, but how would you serve if you knew that nobody would ever know? How would you serve in a place where you understood nobody's ever going to find out about this? And that's the kind of serving that God has called us to do. I remember years ago thinking uh, about Melanie and our kids and when they were young. And I was just thinking, you know, we have a great deal with our kids. Because Melanie and I both, just by nature, we just love to serve. And our kids really love to be served. So it's like a really great deal for everybody. We're going to do what we love. They're going to get what they want. And, and this is kind of the way the world is. Except most of us want to be served. And Jesus Christ identified Himself as a servant when He said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. So finally in verse 4 at the end, He says, so my life is in God's hands. God knows what He's doing. I'm not looking for the approbation of people in what I'm doing. I'm not looking to please people. I'm trying to please God. And if I please God, His approval is all that I need because ultimately that's what life is about. As Oswald Chambers said, God may put you through some difficult things because it's not about you. In fact, God may put you through some things where you're going to be used by God. He's going to take you through a multitude of experiences that are not meant for you at all. They're meant to, to make you useful in His hands. And I've been praying for us that we'll be useful. We're in His hands whether or not we know it. We might as well be useful. And those who are useful to God are those who are willing to serve. So Jesus uh, washed feet and then said to His disciples, and by the way, I want you to wash the feet of others as well. I love Brennan Manning's story about getting his shoe shine. I don't know if you ever had your shoe shine, but it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty amazing. You know, it's like there's like a little throne there, and you get up on the throne, you sit down, and they hand you something to read. And meanwhile, they're cleaning the grime off of your feet. I mean, it's just pretty. And Brennan Manning said one day he was at a, an airport in Atlanta, and he's getting his shoes shined, and the guy's shining his shoes, and he pays the guy, and he gives him a tip. And then he says to the guy, now you get in the chair, because I want to shine your shoes. And the man said, nobody's ever shined my shoes. And he said, but I'm going to today. See, we're not in the world to have our shoes shined. We're in the world 
to shine the shoes of others. In fact, if you're looking for your vision and your calling for life or our calling as a church and your vision is this, like, um, you know, like he says, it's too small a thing just to bring Israel back. I mean, if you just think it's just about you, here's the thing. If your vision for life is that someday you're going to get to such a high place that everybody in the world is there to serve you, you can be really sure that vision's not from God because we're not here to be served. We're here to serve. So we got an April, a, a time coming up called Serve the City. And we're going to go and we're going to serve the city. It's going to be part of the Spark Weekend this year. Spark Weekend's been moved to April to sort of correspond with that. And we're going to serve this city because we want this city to know that we're not here to say, look at us and give us what we want. In fact, pretty much, I don't know if you've experienced this, but when I get everything I want for myself, that doesn't usually go well. So maybe we should look for more. Maybe God's calling us to more. Maybe He's calling us to get what He wants from our lives, which would be even better. Called to speak. Called to serve. Called to shine. We are God's shining servants. So He says, it's too small a thing just for you to serve the people of Israel, what I want you to do. And the New Testament picks this up, doesn't it? So actually, Luke will sort of echo back to this when when he's um, saying Jesus Christ is going to be the light to the Gentiles. But then Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. And then he says to his people, his disciples, you're the light of the world. And then in Acts, it's picked up that the people of God are going to take salvation to the ends of the earth. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, hearkening back again to Isaiah 49, um, Paul will say to the church at Corinth, today's the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. God's trying to redeem the world and bring salvation, His salvation to the end. And literally what it says is not just that you're going to bring my salvation, but literally it says you will be my salvation. So who's he talking about? He's got to be talking about Jesus. That Jesus is the final fulfillment of this servant and He's the head and we're the body and we're the body of Christ and we're here to speak and to serve and to shine so that we can show His salvation to the world. I told you a while back about Peter Borthwick and Peter, Peter Borthwick was, or Paul Borthwick was um, in, a, in a McDonald's and he saw a young man he knew from his church and he knew the young man because the young man was doing a master's degree at Harvard but there he was standing behind the cash register at McDonald's and Paul's first words to him were I'm sorry I, I figured you probably didn't plan to do your master's at Harvard so that you could work at McDonald's he said no don't worry about it I mean really you know I, I waited about four months I was trying to pay my bills I couldn't so I just got the first job I could get and, and he said oh I'm sorry you know I know that's got to be a downer for you he goes no 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 God put me here God put me here because it turns out that one of my coworkers is a Buddhist from Sri Lanka and another one is a Muslim from Lebanon and another one is Hindu from India and another one's a fellow Christian from El Salvador and I am doing world missions at McDonald's and saying, would you like fries with that? This is my calling. What if this week instead of thinking about where we're going to be someday, we just decided to be present where we are and said, okay, God, how am I doing your work of world missions here and now? God, how do you want to use me today to love people in your name? Lord, how can I be a servant for you today and speak your truth in such a way that I shine, that, Lord, light a fire. Didn't we sing it? Lord, light a fire in me in our earlier service 
um, Gray Layton read uh, the, the New Testament passage for today uh, in John chapter 1, verses 29 to 42. And what it says is Andrew and Philip, when they find uh, Jesus, um, the first, or Andrew and John, when they first find Jesus, the first thing Andrew does is find his brother Peter and say, we found the Messiah. It turns out Christianity is contagious if we really have it. If we really have it. I, I don't mean if we've just been inoculated enough so that we don't get the real thing. But if we get Christianity, we are by definition contagious. We, when we come in contact with the light, as Malcolm Muggeridge said, here's what I want. In a world that seems to be descending deeper and deeper into darkness, I want them to say, He was a flickering light who offered light to somebody along the way. Now there's a mission for us as a church that we would be, what did Jesus say? You are the light of the world. He didn't say you might someday become if you really know. You are the light of the world. Don't hide that. You're a city set on a hill. So shine. Because it turns out the world needs to know. Seven billion people in the world, about 750 million are estimated to be followers of Jesus Christ. That's about 11 Another 38% have heard the good news but not received it. But then there's that 50% who largely have no access to the gospel at all. That's just three and a half billion people. Hey, I love you all who say, you know, I just want to reach the people in Houston. That's a good thing. So do I. And, the, and by the way, the nations have come to us. I met another family this morning from Iran. And they're just... Just an amazing young couple. I just thank God for bringing them to Tallow. But here's what I want to say to you. I want to reach the city of Houston. But if you say to me, that's all we're going to do, then I'm going to say verse 6. That's too small. It's too little to light a thing for a church with the potential of Tallowood to say, me, you, Fred, Eleanor, we four, no more, shut the door. No. No, we not only open the doors for people to come in, but we open the doors so that we can go out, so that we can go to Central Asia like some of our friends who are sojourning with us right now, like uh, one of our sons who's helping plant a church up in Arkansas. I'm talking about going to faraway places like Arkansas and helping plant a church up there this morning and in just their first Sunday of worship. And I mean, if I, if I weren't here, I'd be there because I want to be there. I want to see what God is going to do there because it turns out it's not about us. It's about Him. And here's the good news. When we feel like, wow, it's pointless like verse 4. You know, I've wasted my time. Nothing good is happening. And He says, but I am in God's hands. And then God says in verse 7, yeah, by the way, you are in my hands. And even though people despise and reject and mistreat Christians around the world, here's the really good news. He says, someday kings will stand in your honor. Princes will bow in your presence. When is that? What's that? What's that about? And then I remembered that after Jesus humbled Himself by becoming obedient to death. God gave Him the name that is above every name. The highest name. He exalted Him to the highest place and gave Him the name that is above every name. Why? So that every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I remember years ago reading that if you could assemble, it's impossible, if you could assemble all the great people in history, all the famous people, all the brilliant people, all the talented people in history, and put them together in, in one room, and Shakespeare walked into that room, they would, finding out who he was, spontaneously rise in his honor. 
in honor of the great poet Shakespeare. But in that same room, if Jesus walked in in the next moment, we may be sure that they would all bow and they would confess what we must confess, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is why we are here to live under the sovereign Lordship of Jesus Christ. To learn about Jesus until we begin to live like Him so that we can lead others to do the same for this, for nothing less. God has put us in this world so that we might speak and serve and shine until all people come to know who He is. And if we're looking for a vision for our church, a vision for your life and mine together. Let's at least make it worth the investment of the rest of our lives. And that's what this vision is. Let's pray. Father God, I thank You for giving a vision to Your church that is bigger than us. We sometimes are dismayed that the world's not trying to make us happy. But Father, I thank You that You've called us to be Your holy people on mission in the world Lord, whatever we do, don't let, us, don't, let us, don't let us stay in the barnyard with the chickens when you've called us to fly. I pray, God, lift us to a bigger vision. Call us to Christ. And when you call, Lord, we won't phone snub you. We will come. In Jesus' name, amen.